Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. I wonder if the reason why there are fewer people here today is because they knew that today was going to be a grammar day and they figured they would just like play hooky <laughs> because we were talking about this because we're, we're going to, we, we have, I have no idea if we're going to finish this Rashi. It's actually, it's, it's a Rashi that speaks to my heart because I love this kind of stuff. Um, but I imagine it might be uh, dry for all of you. I, I don't mind saying from the beginning that we're not going to get much out of this in terms of content. I, 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 I read this over and over and over again. I don't think that there's a sermon here. I don't think that there's a reason for his going on this extended journey we're about to go on aside from just clarifying a grammatical point. I do have a question that can't be answered as to why there are, he's going to give so many examples for something when the point that he's making is is pretty Rosh Katan. You know, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty small, it's small potatoes. So, and he is going to give three or four examples of, of the idea that he's about to uh, undermine and then four or five examples of the one that he supports. And may, you'll, you'll tell me afterwards if you think there's a reason for this extended uh, conversation by Rashi. But just to get us in there, we're on the 22nd <clears throat> verse of the third chapter of Shemot, the last chapter of Shemot, and the Pshat, which we've spent time, um, some time on for a while, or the, the verse is, Vishala Isha Mishchenta, uh, each woman will ask, borrow, request, demand from her neighbor. We didn't fully resolve that. And from the woman who lives in her home, is the her the Israelite woman or is the her the, the, the woman who lives in the home of her neighbor, right? We spent some time in that. We're not going backwards. What shall they borrow or ask for? Uh, instruments or utensils of silver and of gold. Usmalot and garments, dresses, the samtem, and place them on your uh, sons, upon your daughters, which we basically translated as you shall take advantage of, you shall strip. I talked about the fact that in modern Hebrew, linatzel means to exploit uh, on, in the, both the positive and the negative sense, right? To exploit an opportunity to, 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 get, to get as much out of it as possible and to exploit, take advantage of, okay? Um, and it seems to be that that's the standard understanding, that this is the root, lin natsel shoresh nun tzadi lamid, meaning to um, exploit, take advantage of, or strip. Okay, that's where we left it. And I think, unless someone uh, wants to correct me, what we're about to do is this long Rashi, right? Because we already... Uh, we already did the um, short Rashi on Migarat Beitar. Everyone agree with that? Okay. Is there a, uh, a masochist out there who wants to volunteer to read this Rashi? It's going to be a lot of interruptions. I'm going to be sharing my screen with you about 15 different times because so, each of the verses he's going to bring up um, primed. But anybody want to jump into it? Tova, is that you're raising a hand? No, it's, is that, that's your telling me on me you shouldn't rely. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Um, all right, eeny, meeny, my. I'll, I'll be brave. Okay, go ahead, Joanna. Thank you. Vinitatem Katargumo Utrokenun Vehen Vainatlu et Mitraim. Okay, pause. We're going to do this really slow, uh, you know, uh, sl- slowly. So, what's the first thing that Rashi says? It's that it, it, according to the Aramaic translation, which I have no idea what that means. Okay, so that's what's what's interesting about him going in this direction. I mean, that's the way Uncle translates it. Is that he's 
in, in the service of deciphering interesting root that sometimes appears in different ways, he's using, and I think this is a coincidence, is what the word means, another root, which is also interesting and it appears in different ways. The adjective for this root is missing one of the letters of the, of the verbal root. The adjective is reish yud kuf, rake, empty. Habor reik ein bo maim, right? That the, that the pit into which Joseph was sent was empty. It had no water. But the verb to empty out is lirokin. There's a nun hanging out at the end of that verbal form, which does not get, um, does not appear in the adjectival form. And there are a lot of people who know the Hebrew word reik, empty, but don't know how to, are not, are not as aware that in the verbal form. So, and this is the Aramaic of that. So to, uh, I lost my place. Yeah. So, um, tirok noon, you shall empty out, right? You shall dispossess, right? You shall make them have less of, with the root being resh kun, uh, kuf nun, okay? Um, so the first thing he says is, uncle has got it right. And, and, and this is actually a fair Aramaic translation of linatzeel, with the meaning being to take advantage of, to empty out, to strip. Okay. V'chein. V'chein v'yinatzlu et mitraim. So there's, uh, we can look at Shemot uh, bet and find a, a, a similar expression there. Right. So let me share that. Okay. So when this um, story is told uh, a little bit later, right? So we're actually... Uh, seeing the instructions, and then in the 12th chapter of Shemot, right, it actually happens, right? So if you go back to verse 35, the Israelites did exactly as Moshe had commanded them, same verb, right? They asked, borrowed, requested from Egypt, interesting, not Mitzrim, but from Egypt, so it matches, um, that they asked for these silver, gold instruments and Garments, clothing. Vadonai, Natanat Ha'am. We looked at this verse last time from the previous verse. God placed the grace of the people, in the eyes of Egypt. Vayashilum. And they, um, they, they answered the Sheila. They, they gave it to them. And now, Vayinatsalu at Mitzrayim. They natsaled Mitzrayim. And if you look at Uncleus on this, to, to form, Uncleus translates the Vayinatslu as Virokinu, Resh Kun Kuf Nun. So the first thing Rashi says is, Uncleus was right in our verse, in our chapter, the last verse of chapter three, and it's the same root when the story is told later on, and Uncleus is true to form there. This means to empty out, to take advantage of. Okay. Keep going. Let's go on. Yeah. Vayinatslu v'nei Yisrael at Edyan. So, also in Shemot Lamed Gimel, another example of the same form. Right. So now that Rashi, the first proof text that Rashi brought is the, is, is not only the same root; this, it's the same phrase referring to this scene. And now Rashi extends it a little bit and gives us a another proof text. Let me pull that one up. So in the thirty third chapter of the book of Shemot, this is in Parshat Ki Tisa. This is 
same root, according to Rashi, but a different context. Um, just, just go back a, a verse. This is in the uh, this, the scenes around the golden calf. God said to Moshe, a moral B'nai Israel, tell those people, Atem Oref, they are people of stiff-necked. Rega echad If I were to come down for one minute, I would destroy you. Therefore, take off that stuff that you put on to dance in front of the golden calf. from upon you. And I'm going to figure out what to do with you. So the Israelites, this is in the heat pa'el, reflexive. Whatever natsal means, they did it to themselves. And it's an interesting form because a heat pa'el often does not have... Um, a direct object. So the et, the et edyam, this might be not et as direct object, but et as with, right? That they they strip themselves with respect to edyam, the fine stuff they put on, mechar chorev, from that point on forward, right? So Rashi says, same root. They, they, they made themselves empty, if I want to keep that word uh, going, from the uh, beautiful stuff that they put on as they were celebrating at the golden calf. Okay. Um... So, so far, Rashi has told you what he thinks it means. He says, Uncleus is right. He says, Uncleus, um, it, it translates it the exact same way when this story is told in real time as it's happening. And I'll give you another uh, verb where it means the same thing. Although, interestingly, Uncleus does not translate the, this Vayit Natslu on the screen the way he does the others. And so it's, it's, that's probably why Rashi doesn't bring it. If you look here, um, Uncleus translates the verb Vayitnat Slu as Vaai Vaa Targi pronounce Vaadi Vaadiu um uh basically um uh, using the the verbal form of the edyam. They if like you think of a the, to to it doesn't work in English. If if you're wearing finery, imagine a verb meaning to fine oneself. So Uncleus takes the verb from the noun of the stuff that they're wearing. He does not translate it as lehit rokain here. Okay. That's what Rashi's done so far. And he's about to turn kind of 90 degrees, 180 degrees. Let's pause because see Barry has a question or a comment. My translation has an interesting twist on, on the word. It's divest. Interesting. This is the translation of the Rashi or of the verb in the sentence? It both. Actually, in the translation from Onkelos is... The same word is to empty, uh-huh. but in the translation from of the same word in Rashi and and also in the text is divest. And yeah. and your uh, use of the word to fine, as a, as a to refine or is it, uh, so it, it's it's not to take away, it's it's to it di- it's still an investment. It's still what it is. Uh-huh. It's 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 a divesting it. Yeah. And as we go through this, I guess if, if there's anything of, of content to be thinking about is, is the machloket that Rashi is about to get into between himself and um, his version of Jastro. I think we referred to him as Menachem ben Saruk, who was like a 11th or 10th century grammarian who apparently had a pretty widespread 
uh, dictionary of biblical Hebrew and rabbinic Hebrew. And that's, you know, if I go to the jazz show, Rashi would go to the um, Menachem Ben Saruk. The difference is if I go to jazz show, I believe he's right. Uh, I would never say, mm, I don't think jazz show is right here. But um, Rashi has no problem saying that Menachem Ben Saruk was incorrect. He's about to get into machloket with him. Obviously, uh, he's the he in the situation is no longer alive about the meaning of this verb. And I guess if we could linger on a question is, what is the difference, if there's a difference, between the possible meanings of these roots? Rashi's gone in one direction. He's about to quote Menachem Ben Saruk in the other direction. Larry, Diane? First, I'm just wondering whether, I don't have the Aramaic in front of me, it could be to adorn as opposed to find. Uh, yeah, that's probably a better example, to adorn, to adorn an adornment. That probably works better, except that Rashi... Not an accept. In in this case, Uncleus is using it almost as a way of saying to unadorn, right? right. Because to 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 to, de- to dedorn, we can we can create a verb. <laughs> and then I'm wondering, are you intending in? Are you waiting to go through the Rashi before you look at other translations of the actual, if not the verse, at least the the um, the word? Uh, not necessarily. Did we not did we not look at translations last week of the verb itself? I'm sure we did not because the because I would have remembered because our school of course goes right to the Rashi the first Rashi and says to empty you shall empty out Egypt <clears throat> and uh, Alter says despoil and uh, Ari Kaplan says um, uh, drain he drain. says drain Egypt and then he puts some parentheses of its wealth. And then Berries was in, I don't know which, I don't know where Berries was from, but Berries was really interesting to divest. Because that's, that's, that's a, I think a really interesting term to use in this case. You know, for the, for the 10,000th time, translation is so hard and so interesting because all those words make sense in context. Spoil, divest, uh, Everfox says strip. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? Uh, a drain. Drain. I mean, drain is a different image than than to em- than to empty, right? There, but 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 you know what what it's going for. Um, but I think all of those uh, translations are synonyms agreeing with Rashi and agreeing with Uncleus, right? These are all um, different English ways of really saying the same thing. And what Ra- what Rashi's have got to do is to pr- is to prove that that's correct by disproving the alternate reading that Menachem Ben Saruk came up with. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Diane. So I know, I don't know if we want to deal with this right now because it really isn't germane to translation, except that Rashi, using the example that he did, makes very stark that God first told the people to despoil the Egyptians and then the people used those spoils in order to create the golden calf. It's, it's rather fascinating. Yeah. Right. The, the, this, the, the fascinating second story of stuff that they left Egypt with, right? Um, that, that they, 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 their payment, their compensation for slavery, as it were, at the request or the demand of the God that they're now going to be serving is used in the undermining of that faith. Right. Um, When we get there, there's a really fascinating uh, shot story and Midrashic story about mirrors that the Israelite women brought out of Egypt and how they used them in the desert. There are interesting second stories of the fire pans of Korach. 
So there, there's a there's an interesting repurposing of of, of items in the Exodus story um, that themselves tell their own story. But yes, mm-hmm. Ra, Ra, and Rashi is not at this point showing interest in in the in the storyline. He's showing interest in the verb itself. Yeah, yeah, that's why I like the word the divest is is like a repurposing. Repurposing, yeah. Um, okay, Joanna, let's go back to you and. Um, Let's keep going. Okay. Um, let me just find my place. Vehanun bo yesod. And the letter nun, I'm taking yesod here to be like shorash. The, the nun is part of the base, is part of the, is part of the shorash. Correct. Rashi's, Rashi's word for our word shorash is yesod, which are synonyms, right? A foundation or a, or a basis. Yep. Um, Uminachem chibro b'machberet. So, so, so that's already a, a phrase. So those four words, see what you can make out of them. Menachem, Machberet, Sadi. What does that mean? Some guy Menachem, I'm not sure who he's referring to here, wrote in his notebook Sadi. Right. I, like, I want to say some grammarian listed it in his notebook under Sadi, meaning that the Shorah starts with Sadi. Absolutely right. So Menachem is this guy, Menachem ben Saruk, who lived, I forgot exactly what century. Um, and he had this dictionary, this machberet. I can't hear the word machberet and not think of those blue machbarot from religious school that we all, that I used to, that's how I learned how to write my Hebrew letters. And he wrote it, he noted it under the heading Tzadi, not under the net heading Nun, to suggest that whatever Shoresh Ha Yesod this is, its first letter is not a Nun. Its first letter is at Sadi. And what root could that be? It could be Sadi Lamed, which is sometimes um, written in our, our dictionaries as Yud Sadi Lamed or Hey Sadi Lamed, Lehatzil, to rescue, to save, right? Um, may or may not be related to the, um, the noun sail, which means shade. But whatever it is, in, um, in, in medieval Hebrew, that was listed as a tzadi root, um, not necessarily as a yud tzadi or a hey tzadi root. Okay, keep going. Okay, im vayatzel Elohim miknei avichem, and asher hitil Elohim meavinu. Okay, so but- let's look at let's look at some of those. Second, so we're, Rashi is now going to go into a um, he's generous to Menachem, even though he's about to disagree with him. So he's going to he's going to lead us in the direction that Menachem ben Saruk wants us to go in, in terms of understand, understanding this root. But it's all in the service of saying, and he's wrong. Okay, so um, look at this verb. This is from the thirty first chapter of Breshit, Parshat Vayetze, and uh, you can see just from the top there. Once you see the word speckled you know exactly where you are in the story, right? This is the ruse that uh, the, the genetic engineering that Yaakov does to despoil haha, uh, his father-in-law, um, Yitro of things, not Yitro, Lavan of parts of the flock that he feels like he deserves. By the way, notice an either coincidental or non-coincidental thing here that in, in Rashi taking us to this route, as a way of showing how Menachem understands our verse, even though Rashi thinks it's wrong, he's taking us to a story where an Israelite is taking things on the way out that he thought he was due. 
right? Either that's a nothing or it's majestic. I'm not sure. It may be the just. It actually may be the root that um, Menachem ben Saruk uses in his in his dictionary. I don't have a copy of that dictionary. I don't know if it exists online, um, but it's it's interesting uh, storyline parallel. So what's going on here? Go back a, a, a verse in Koyomar Nikudim Yescharecha. So if 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 he said this, then you then all of the flock that are speckled is going to wet, be what you earn. Be aldu called Hatson Nikudim, and then all the flocks somehow would come out that way. The Koyomar, if he he worked it out that if he had said that all of the Akudim will be your uh, wages, be aldu called Hatson Akudim. So he basically. Um, Yaakov set it up, they say, you know, hail, what's it, heads I win, tails you lose, right? So either way he goes, he wins. And in that way, vayatzel Elohim et miknei avichem vayitemli. By the way, um, this is, what, what's happening here is um, uh, Yaakov is describing the situation to Rachel and Leah. He's describing to his, to his wives how he ended up with all these flocks or how he was going to be. And in that way, he says, God has... Yatzald or Natzald or Tzald, the flocks of your father and given them to me. So, according to Menachem ben Saruk, this root is the same root as our root, and you can understand why, right? They take all of your verbs, despoiled, divested, took away, emptied out the Egyptians' closets from the finery, and here God has made it so that I have been able to empty, um, out Lavan's uh, flock from, from from him, except that um, this is probably the root lehatzil, meaning to to. It's a similar idea, but to rescue, to take away, to save, to spare. Right. So that's the first um, example, and then the next one is. Oh, sorry. No, later on in that very chapter. Can I just comment that it's interesting that Rashi does not comment on the word Yatzel back then? But funny that he didn't even have anything to say back then. He only thought of it in the context of our Pesuk. Meaning in this story, Rashi doesn't say anything? No, Rashi, is, Rashi, Rashi doesn't say anything on, on True. first night. True. Yeah, Rashi's, the fact that it's in gray, not black, means that Rashi is quiet on that verse. Yeah. Um, Okay, and then now, a few verses later, why don't you read this verse, Joanna, Ki Kola Osher? Ki Kola Osher Asher Hitzil Elohim Meavinu Lanuhu Uvanenu Veata Kola Sheramar Elohim Elacha Ase. Okay, and translate or read the translation. Truly, all the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, do just as God has told you. Okay, so the, the, the wives basically accept the explanation. And here we have an, a more obvious for, uh, verb form because vayatzel could be um, one of those uh, roots where the nun has gone missing, like vayipol or vayisa um, in that form. But hitzil, in the past tense, it's a perfect form. Um, there's no way that heat seal, this word here, can be from the root natsal. There's just no way it would show up. So heat seal has to be from sal or yatsal or lehatsil. And according to Menachem ben Saruk, that is the same verb as we have in, in our verse. Okay. Um, so that's Rashi having given us two places where 
Menachem believes we have a similar understanding as the as what the word means in, in our um, in our verse. And remember, our verse was Venitzaltem. Okay. Um, any comments or questions so far, or or seeing where we are in the storyline? Okay. Now, Rashi says, but Menachem, you're wrong. Keep reading. Okay, so see if you can make sense of that. What's the first phrase mean? Um, we don't believe or we don't hold by his words. Yeah, and look at the root there. It's... Um, you know, believe amen. We, we're, we're literally we're not going to say amen to his words. Lo ye amnu. His words sh- shall not be believable, right, or accepted as at face value. Why? Um, because if the nun wasn't part of the shorash, which is his way of saying, if Menachem were right and the nun was not part of the shorash, but the shorash was rather lehatzil. Go ahead. Okay, and um, but it has um, the the chirik vowel, the e vowel. Right. So the chirik, you don't know. The, although you don't, all those who don't know the um, names of the vowels is the single dot under a letter, which is an i or an e. There's a long chirik and a short chirik. The short chirik is just the the um, the dot. The long chirik is if there's a yud in the next place in the letter. That's a long I, e vowel or a short e vowel. So if the nun were not part of the root, which is what Menachem ben Saruk is arguing, and the way I have to understand this phrase is, and since it is indeed vow- vocalized as a um, chirik, if you look at our verse, um, it's the ni tzaltem at Mitzrayim, and under the nun, not only is the nun there, but the nun has a chirik, in it, then therefore, then therefore, um, it couldn't be used in the language of um, I want I want to say here, like because of the what's coming up nifatam in the language of an active verb, but all, but in only in the language of the passive. Exactly right. So the way it, those of us who study biblical grammar now would call the the binyan. Pa'al, active, and the binyan nifal, passive. When Rashi spoke about it, he, he wouldn't have used the word pa'al. He actually kind of almost like writes out the longer version of that verb as an explanation. So if Menachem is correct and the nun is not part of the root and it's in the nun has a chirik, then there's no way to understand that word as being you, plural, actively are doing something, ufa altem, what we would say, pa'al, but rather, you would have to then translate that verb as you, plural, have had something done to you, passive nifaltem. And we'll, we'll, we'll go longer into it, but if you look back at our verse, Rashi is saying, I'm about to prove to you that if Menachem is correct, that there's a nun there, and it's part of the root, sorry, and it's not part of the root, and there, and since there's a chirik under that nun, you would have to somehow translate this verse as place them on your sons and daughters and you will be despoiled by Egypt. You will be taken advantage of by Egypt 
That makes no sense. And Rashi says there's no way to not translate it that way if the nun is not part of the root. And now he's going to go into his a series of, of proofs next to get us there. Um, questions or comments on that, on, on just the, the language that Rashi is using? Barry? Goodness, uh, 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 it's a premonition that, uh, yes, uh, the, 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 the Israelites are going to be despoiled. They're taking this stuff, and it's, it's going to spoil them. Okay, so wonderful, Barry. You're saying that we, we could midrashically rescue Menachem's uh, translation, that this is um, this is a, a, a wink-wink at the fact that they're going to take it, but it's actually going to be their undoing. I love it. It, it it's, it's a wonderful response back to Rashi. I think Rashi would say, I'm not interested, but it's a wonderful response back to Rashi. Great. Larry, Diane? The question is, this presumes that Rashi had the Masoretic text and that, that was widespread by then? In the sense that he knew that there was a chirik underneath it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm assuming all along that Rashi is, is, is learning from a, um, a Torah scroll. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there aren't chumashim back then, but maybe yeah. I'm, obviously I'm wrong. We're getting into a murky part of, of um, text history that I'm, I do a lot of guesswork at. I, don't, I have no scholarly background on it, but here's my sense. Even before there was the accepted Masoretic text and people were essentially learning from unpointed text, that doesn't mean that they didn't know what vowels ought to be under each letter, right? There may have been – what the Masoretes did was to – was to – to make it so that it was it was certified and everyone basically had an agreement, but they weren't the ones in in the in real time inventing the concept that these are the way the word should be articulated because there are you know every every verse has verbs that depending on which vowels are present change the change the meaning so i don 't know if Rashi literally had um, the work of the mass rights in front of him, but even if he didn't, he had an inherited tradition that this was pronounced nitzaltem and not nitzaltem, and it seemed to be rather accepted, so much so that he could say, since we all agree, because that's what you're saying, that there's an E underneath there, we all agree it's going to sound like this, There, this is what it has to mean. Now, maybe what we're seeing here is a disagreement between Rashi and Menachem on that very question. Maybe Menachem, I don't, I don't, I've never seen that text. I've only seen Menachem ben Saruk quoted by Rashi. I've never seen him quoted by anyone else. So he's, he's Rashi's dictionary, but I don't know. I don't know if that is extant at all. Maybe we're seeing a difference between Rashi and Menachem ben Saruk on how this verb should be pointed, right? Um, and maybe Menachem ben Saruk say, "Yeah, but I don't see a chirik there. I see a shva there, and that would change everything." Um, okay. So now Rashi is going to um, bolster his disagreement with Menachem ben Saruk. Go ahead. Um, okay, so now some examples. Um, okay, so let's do this one at a time. And to give you the flow, these are Rashi's examples of what he would say are obvious cases where you have a nun with a chirik underneath it in a form that shows that it's passive, not active. Okay, um, Dvarim Kaf Chet, the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy, which is, anyone know the context? In this little, this is like name that tune. If you look at that little section of, of Torah, anyone know what, what's going on here? Parshat Kitavo, 
this is part of the um, the blessings and curses of Parshat Kitavo, okay, the Tochacha. And uh, it's one of the longest chapters in the, in the, in the Torah. Just as God once was so happy upon you, to be good to you, and to make you numerous, uh, God will now have similar joy to destroy you. It's really like incredible imagery. When, when, and when we get there in a hundred years, we'll look at it slowly. And to ultimately annihilate you. Whatever that root means, it's clearly passive because the mem afterwards suggests that you're going to, um, it's translated here as, was it, uh, be torn from. You're going to be ripped from that land. Not that you're doing the ripping, but you're going to be ripped from. Everyone would agree. Menachem would agree. Rashi would agree. Nun with a chirik. The tem, meaning you, plural, it's just, it sounds like the nitzal tem, and this does not mean, and you will be ripping, but you will be ripped. Okay. Um, next one. Next one. The nigaftem bifnei oy vechem. I think you skipped one, unless we have different uh, texts. Uh, yeah, sorry, I did. Venitatem biad oyev. Okay. Here we have 26th chapter of Vayikra. Um, I, God, am going to bring a sword against you, to kind of uh, get my vengeance on the fact that you didn't observe my covenant. Slightly different forms. That's not as proof text. You will be the ones gathered up to your cities. I'm going to send you pestilence. Nun, with a chirik, tem ending. This does not mean that you're going to be doing giving, that you're, you're delivering the hands of your enemies. No, you will be delivered unto. Passive, obvious. No one can disagree with it. Okay? Um, we're going to do a few of these in a row. Stop me if, you, if anyone has any questions on it. Next one, Joanna. Oops, I shouldn't have closed that one because the same, um, that is the same chapter. So later on in that chapter, um, and by the way, this is now two in a row where Rashi is quoting from the Tochachot, the two places where the blessings and curses are, are said by God. First, he goes to the second one. Kitavo, uh, and now he goes to the first one, Parshat Bechukotai, which we read a few weeks ago. Benatati Fanai Bachem. It's interesting phrase that that to that Lisapanim to turn face is to be gentle and kind, but to place face Benatati Fanai Bachem is an angry thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put my face upon you, and you're and you're and you're gonna wish I hadn't. Ve'ni Gaftem The root is to be. Um, uh, uh, I don't know, destroyed or or routed or um, um, maybe even to have it be a plague against you like magefa, and it's the nun with a chirik, the tem ending, and it does not mean that you're going to rout your enemies, but you are going to be routed by your enemies. This is now third proof text in a row, and he keeps going. And I do, I mean, I am interested in anyone who has an answer as to what, like, we get the point, Rashi, right? What, what's he doing? Is Rashi just like, you know, showing how impressive it is. And it is unbelievably impressive, impressive that he has this recall, that he can just 
pick out without safaria, without the concordance, places where there's a, a root with the nun and a chirik and a second person plural to, to, to disprove Menachem Ben Saruk. He just knows them. Okay, next one. I'm also curious as to, like, if you were going to give a whole long litany, I would list them in order of appearance in the Tanakh. And he's, like, jumping all over the Tanakh. And that, to me, is curious. Like, is he trying to establish something by the order he gave them to us? And thus far, I can't make any sense of that. Totally fascinating. And I can't make sense either. Um, And even that he quotes two of the Tochachas in reverse order, and now he's going to jump to Ezekiel, right? It's a, it's a, I, and I don't, I, I don't think that any one of these is like, it's, he's not, doesn't seem to be moving from the more obvious proof text to the least obvious one, the more compelling to the least compelling. These are all, this is all the, 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 the same grammatical point. And I agree with you, I don't see a pattern. Larry, Diane, do you see a pattern? Not a pattern. I'm thinking like a teacher. You say to your students, Here's the example. See how many examples you can find. And they're, they're just rattling off examples and they got codified. Interesting. So, so maybe uh, we're seeing um, the example of Rashi having done this lesson with his students. <laughs> I, I love that image. I, I have no idea how fanciful that image is, but I love it. I love that notion. Um, okay. Uh, Barry? Uh, they seem to be in the odor uh, of progressively more severe. The, the the imagery is progressively more severe? Maybe. Um, let's see if that continues. Um, I, I think that's arguable, but it's arguable in both directions. So it's a, so it's a possibility. Um, Tova and then Sue? Yeah, just on the broader question of, of why this Rashi, uh, just the whole feel of this to me is of somebody who has had an area in which he is impassioned, Mm. Um, he's hit a point where I get the feeling this is a long-standing controversy he has with the scrimmarian, right? That this is something that has come up before and he's hit this point where it lights up that controversy and it just all pours out, you know, like this is something he broods about or has brooded about. (laughs) And here he has it in front of him and he's sort of rattling off these examples because he's thought of it over and over again. It's, it's, it's something that has frustrated him in a sense. And that it just has that feeling of intensity, this outpouring of something about which he is uniquely fascinated and insisted on his understanding (laughs) It's like Rashi waking up in the middle of the night instead of saying Stella, he's saying it's a chirik. It's a chirik. Well, thank you, Tova, because you know I think that 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 definitely works. But I, I of course, I'm just I, I'm trying to figure out what what for. Like, what what is what is, is he telling us? He's telling us it's not passive. It's not reflexive. It's passive. That's sort of the, yes. And it's all about the grammar and this particular point and all these examples because this is his thing. But but that's that's what we're taking away from this. That it's uh, we, that he that Rashi says it's a passive verb. It's not reflexive. I mean, from what I can discern, and we're not even halfway through the comment yet. <laughs> yes, right. So the, the answer is yes, and I, I can't even qualify the yes. A, at the end of this, we, his students, will certainly know on a level that if we're paying attention, we'll never make the mistake again. 
of, of how to distinguish between an active and a passive verb in the weirdo place of a, of a three-letter root where sometimes the nun is missing. Like, we'll know it. Like, we'll have, we'll have written on the board a thousand times, I will never, I will, I will never mis, misunderstand a chirik under a nun in a, in a passive verb again, right? So as a pedagogue, we'll have gotten the point. But I, I do think that that's the, the, the whole point. I don't, I don't think there's a bigger point here. Um, I'm open to the possibility of it. But I don't see it. And even if Barry is correct that we have an increasingly more intense set of proof texts in terms of the imagery of God, I don't know if that argues wider to um, the little sermonette that Rashi is going to be giving on Shabbos about this, right? If, um, if I could. It, yeah. It, uh, it, it, because let's not look at this that the Israelites are going to get all this jewelry stuff. That's not what this is about. Little by little by little – this is going to begin a very severe story on us. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to go into a lot of trouble of this. I, I want to know what I get from this class. If I ever use this Rashi as a basis for a Yom Kippur sermon, I, I want to know like <laughs> everyone else will think I've lost my mind and the, and, and 15 people scattered in the room will be cheering. Uh, Norm, go ahead. I just thought this was a good time to point out that Menachem Ben Saruk, who may have actually been a grandson rather than a son of Saruk, uh, lived in Spain from, 920 to 970, so he's almost exactly a century before Rashi, but only one century before him. Thank you. um, If I knew that I had forgotten it, I forgot that he was actually from Spain. Um, Once again, it kind of boggles the mind to go back 1,100 years and imagine somebody in Spain writing a dictionary and it ending up not only being Rashi's hand, but Rashi knowing it well and relying on it. Like, how did that happen? How does that happen in, in medieval intellectual history that some some Yid writes a book by hand and it travels 500 miles or more and becomes essential um, an essential text? I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I will live the entirety of my life and remain fascinated by how that happened. I would think that if there was a noteworthy um, scholarly dictionary or, gram- or book of grammar from Spain at that time, that Rashi is precisely whose hands it would fall into in France. Yeah, um, it wouldn't just be you know some garden variety bookseller or yeshiva bucher. It would go to somebody who really is going to find it valuable. Right, except that 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 leans into a little bit of the fallacy that we discussed before as to whether or not Rashi was already Rashi by the time he was doing this, right? Like, like when did Rashi become Rashi? When did Rashi know he was going to be Rashi? When did others know he was going to be Rashi at the time? Was he just one of many people who are, who are sitting in hovels in, in, in Provence or in, or in Worms and writing this stuff, right? You go back um, or, or go to a different part of the world, like the Rambam story from Cordoba, Spain, um, to Fez, to um, Egypt, to Israel, and he's writing letters to the Jewish community in Yemen. You know how far away Yemen is from Cordoba? Like you can't even get to Yemen today. And the Jews of Yemen had not only heard of the Rambam, but they were exchanging letters back and forth. It, it's it's an incredible thing to think about. Yemen at the very very end of the Arabian Peninsula, they got a letter there. So how how these sages who are um, still known and beloved to us, became known and authoritative in their generations, which also makes me wonder about the iceberg imagery. Like, are we just seeing 
a somewhat coincidental remnant and were there 10 times as many Rashis that we just, they, they, you know, it got burned up before the, somebody wrote a copy, right? Or it was killed in the Crusades, right? So we, this stuff, go ahead. But we do know that one of Rashi's sons-in-law traveled to Spain trading and that would have been a possible source to bring it back. So Rashi wouldn't necessarily have had this when he was still a young man, but later on, yeah, his son-in-law brings this seemingly significant text from Spain, and, and it is. Yeah, great. The, the Islamic literary world was phenomenal. We don't fully comprehend. Uh, Sue, Rebecca, um, and then Tova. We also have, you know, some, you know, modern narratives about how, uh, you know, the Jews at the time were were merchants moving around the world and dropping their sons at um, with various rabbis to study in yeshivas um, set up here and there and everywhere as they, you know, did their their merchanting. And it might have come with those students and with those boys and with those, you know, merchants that, you know, we had a different way of of moving things around the world that included goods because that was the, the that was our our uh, way of life um so it might have been like that it might have transferred around like that um that was one thought that i had and the, the other was um that it's kind of, all of it is a basis of what we do now even you know modern day courts it's like you want to make a claim you 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 provide a million precedences mm. to convince anybody to convince somebody that this is the way to see it and you know that it, it uh, that's you know that's that's how we do now of course, and I would think the more important the claim you're making, the more sure you're making your claim ironclad. And the question is why this – Rashi doesn't always give this many proof texts. Sometimes he gives one. Why this many proof texts in both directions to something relatively minor? Um, but yes, it's it, by the end of this, we'll, we'll certainly know how Rashi believes uh, this goes, and we, and we won't make that mistake again if we, if we at least follow Rashi. Um, Rebecca, Tova, and then we'll go back to Joanna. Um. Well, I think about the question of why he's um, he's giving so much space to this. To me, it's it seems like the, this whole this these two um, supreme twenty one and twenty two could actually be left out, and so I'm not quite sure why they're in there. He, uh, God is trying to convince Moses to go speak to the Israelites and explain what's going to happen, but. This part of it, that they will leave with a lot of gold, is not that critical unless it's critical um, to motivate the Israelites to follow him. And if it's critical in that way, then um, it may be that he's trying to make a point that um, this really is the word, you know, you will almost abuse the Egyptians and take their gold and maybe it's a view that that would um, motivate the Israelites to follow him um, out of, you know, in this whole process. Because otherwise, um, you could have gone through, you know, you'll go with the elders, you'll talk to Pharaoh, he will let you out, he, you know, he won't, then he will. But this part of it is not so important to the process of convincing Moses that this whole process will work, I think, unless... It's part of the motivation. So maybe that's why, maybe there's an argument going on in the back of his head on why, why do we need this? Why it's sort of a negative 
image um, of the within the concept. That's great, Rebecca. If if we had to really do surgery on the the different meanings of the of the of the roots that Rashi is dealing with here, and and these at some level even these two words are distinctions without a difference, right? Linatzel to to take advantage of, to exploit, to despoil, lahatzil. To, to, to rescue, right, to, to pull out from, from something else. If there's a fine distinction, I think you're right, that the former is a little more, it's not more violent, it's certainly, it's, it's more active, it's more sticking it to the ones that you're taking it from, whereas the latter seems to be removing something that you're due anyway. Lahatzil is to rescue something that deserved to be rescued. Lunatzil is to go in there and to pull something out that doesn't necessarily have to come out. So if Rashi, if either consciously or unconsciously in the back of Rashi's mind, Rashi wants us to understand God telling Moshe on behalf of the Israelites, you're going to stick it to them, which is different than, yeah, you're going to, you're just going to, you're going to take what you're due. Well, whether or not you're due it, it's not, it's not a Hatzalah. This is not a rescue operation. This is a, a an extraction. And, and, and maybe that's what's so significant. Um, he doesn't say that, but but we can conjecture on it, and and I that's the only possible way I think to make a distinction between these two roots in terms of meaning, right? Just to take something that 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 could very easily have stayed there versus to rescue something that was due to to, to come out. Yeah, great. Thanks, Rebecca. I just want to add one other thing. Relate the other um, use of that root that comes to my mind constantly is Matzev. Which is again sort of, um, you know, to ask forgiveness or to, which is a completely other way of understanding this, of somehow they are, uh, asking for, somehow making the Egyptians ask for forgiveness who take you, their gold or something like that. But I, I don't know if Hikmatzel comes from the same root because yeah. I don't quite see it. I mean, does it mean emptying yourself or, but it was just another use of the root that I thought sort of made it more complicated. So you've, you've tiptoed into one of the um, rabbit holes of my mind when I think about Hebrew, right? And I think about Hebrew and I think about um, Israeli culture. I remember I, I was pretty deep into my knowledge of Hebrew before I'd ever heard the verb lehit natsel. And for those who don't know it, lehit natsel matter means to apologize, right? Because the more common way of apologizing in Hebrew is not to say ani mit natsel, but ani mit er. I'm sorry, right? And mit er is it's, it's in another interesting, it's a hit pa'el of the verb tsa'ar. I, I, I make myself pained. I, I am, I, I accept that tsa'ar upon myself. So in colloquial Hebrew, you know, you bump into someone, ah, ani mit er. It's much more formal. Maybe it's Maybe it's more severe to look someone in the face and say, I need me that sale. I, I, I apologize to you. Now, again, translation problem. We use the word apologize. We know what it means. That's not what the word lehit natsel means. It's just how it's used. Lehit natsel, you're exactly right, is a hit pa'el verb based on the verb that Rashi thinks really dealing with here. I exploit myself. I, I, I somehow, I, I, I remove something from myself. Am I removing my dignity? Am I removing my certainty? I have always wondered about that verb. And I don't even know, Rebecca, when in Hebrew that, that becomes used in that way. Right? I would love, I wish Virid were on today. I don't know if this is a Eliezer ben Yehuda thing. I don't think lehit natsel operated as a verb meaning to apologize in, 
in the time of Rashi. I don't think he knew that verb. It's my guess, right? I think the the biblical and rabbinic lehit uh, sale is more in the context we're dealing with. So I've always wondered where the verb came from, and I've never done the research. So um, if, if you look it up, you can even Google the word and the root, and it does it does come from medieval times. It says, um, and then uh, there's some reference um, to Shmot. Zot vzehu hitnatslutoshel Aharon. But I'm not sure that's what it means there. So it doesn't have the one. Yeah, that's a that's a midrash. Hitnatslutoshel Aharon is in a midrash. I forgot on, on what verse. Uh, I'll have to look into that. If we had the um, if I yeah. I actually don't have the Eliezer ben Yehuda dictionary on my shelf, which is the kind of dictionary someone like me would would should have, but I've never owned it, and I wonder if he goes into it. Um, but I but I really appreciate that association. Um, Tova's hand is up, and then Larry Diane. Oh well, the conversation's moved a little bit past it, but I was okay. <laughs> um, thinking of of the whole issue of of how he could have uh, known of these things, how they could have been passed. And personally, I didn't find it so hard to believe uh, because uh, I know Shmuel Hanagid when the, when uh, a sort of um, things were written to his credit. One of the things, some of the things that were written to his credit was one that he had funded and was a philanthropist in the copying of the Torah, Nivim, Ketuvim, and the Talmud with the parentheses, these being also holy scripts, which is very interesting. But that, that kind, that that was one of the efforts that would be going on is the production, the copying of, and presumably the spread of. Shmuel Hanagid, in Spain, knew that in Jerusalem they were short of funds for lighting lamps at night, and that was one of one of his forms of tzedakah was giving money to light lamps in Jerusalem. And mm. your own example of of the letters to Yemen. So there was the Jews were merchants; they were traveling, and often I think traveled with copies because there was a market and interest in them. And at the same time, though there was more back and forth contact within the Islamic world. That's one of the things that distinguishes Ashkenaz from Sephardi is this very interconnected Islamic world, whereas Christendom a little bit more cut off, but there was big merchant contact between between the Rhineland and Spain, uh, because we know, I believe, if I'm right, that Rabbeinu Gershom, one of the reasons for his takana on uh, having only one wife was in part, I think, related to the problem of merchants who would travel into Spain, take a wife while they were there, and then re- basically abandon that wife in returning. And, and that, really? that, yeah, that was at least one of the issues, aside from issues within Ashkenaz itself. So we know that contact. We know that the great academies on the Rhineland, which is where Rashi studied, were in contact with the academies in in Mesopotamia. They had contact there despite being within Christendom. So I I don't so much see may, maybe Rashi coming across Menachem ben Seruch, but probably having him be a source in those academies where he studied, it might even have been a source of great contention when he was a student arguing about some of these things. But it it I I. 
the way I picture understood that world, that kind of transmission of documents, I think would be much more common than we may think today. And this image of spreading Torah and knowledge as we spread merchandise, right? Yes, like we, we absolutely. Really the people of the book. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, if, I, I like always like clarifying when people make references to make sure everyone on the kind of class knows what is being talked about. Um, Rabino Gershom was a Spanish right. sage, and he was considered Meor Hagolah. Not Spanish. He was he was Ashkenazi. Rabino Gershom. No, you mean Shmuel Hanagid? Shmuel, right. Shmuel Hanagid. Yes, and except I'm yeah. speaking about Rabino Gershom. Yes, so right. Ashkenazi sage called, called Meor Hagolah, the light right. of the diaspora, and he made a Takana, an edict um, right. that was supposed to last a thousand years. Uh, <laughs> he made several edicts that were considered to be obligatory upon all of Ashkenazi Jewry. Uh, one, the, the more well-known one, is that um, uh, having more than one what, more than one wife, which at least, except for the example that you just mentioned, which I, I was not aware of, was um, uh, de, de, de facto no longer operative in Ashkenazi Jewry. Anyway, he made it officially prohibited. He also uh, made it prohibited to read other people's mail. Right. Um, that right. one gets a little bit less press. And I remember it, that the Takana must have been like in the year, I don't know, 990 or 999. It, it was the thousand years um, was up in my rabbinic lifetime because I remember there was a conversation about do we do we do we renew it for another right. thousand right. years? Yeah. Um, and the answer was yes. Um, so that's who Rabino Gershom is. Um, Larry, Diane, and then we're gonna we're gonna be ending this class less than halfway through this. Rashi. <laughs> Go ahead, Larry, Diane. I can't believe that. So a serious comment first. Um, I spoke too soon about the about Rashi being silent in verse nine in Bereshit thirty one because in verse sixteen he um, he does he does comment on um, the atzil um, and it's relevant to what I think what we were just talking about and I'm, he says lashon ifrish rechen kol lashon hatzala shabam mikra lashon hafrasha. Hatzil means separated or taken away. Similarly, all forms of the hefil of this root occurring in scripture, usually translated by to deliver or to rescue, mean taking away. For one who rescues a person takes him away from the misfortune or from mm-hmm. enemy. And then to go to the, the to, to go to, in uh, itself, um, Okay, that would be as if to take me, to take myself away from the misfortune of what I have done to you would be an explanation for why that is. I know you don't want to take time, so I have two words. Spencer Turnbull. (laughs) You didn't see? No hitter. When, yesterday? As pathetic as they are, the Tigers got a no hitter. You know what? Even a poor tailor is entitled to some happiness. As, as said. Even a tiger fan deserves to have some joy. Um, let's give a kolakavo to Joanna for having um, gotten us about 40% through. We'll pick up next week for the exciting conclusion of Rashi's commentary of chapter 3, verse 22. I wish everybody a wonderful week, a healthy week. I'll see you all soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.